0: TikTok's alleged data breach, leaked documents about an eight million dollar iOS zero day, Google Chrome had a bug that copied data to your clipboard. The U.S. government is suing a location data broker. Fog reveal, EU's Instagram fine, note not going open source, and a voice changer. Welcome to Surveillance Report One Hundred and Two, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the last. Two weeks, a lot has happened, and we're going to try to get you caught up today. Henry had something come up last minute, so he's unable to make it this week, but he's okay. He should be back next week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. As always, we want to remind you guys that if you get value out of Surveillance Report, if you like it and you want to see it keep going, we encourage you to help support us. One way to do that is through our Patreon. This is where you can give with fiat currency. And when you do, you get things in return, like you get access to the show notes, you get a sponsor free segment that doesn't have this whole spiel. You get to ask a question in the Q&A that sometimes we will pick the ones that we find interesting and answer them at the end of the show. If you don't care about any of that and you just want to keep us going, the most privacy respecting way is through Monero. And you can do that by using the QR code on the screen. We see all of your donations. They're all extremely helpful. Thank you guys so much for helping us keep going. So like I said, a lot of things happened this week. It was hard to pick one highlight story, but the big one that happened recently seems to be TikTok. Arguably having a data breach. So the exact headline says TikTok denies security breach after hackers leak user data and source code. On September 2nd, a hacking group known as Against the West created a topic on a hacking forum claiming to have breached both TikTok and WeChat. The user shared screenshots of an alleged database belonging to the companies, which they say was accessed on an Alibaba cloud instance. I don't know if that counts as a shot or not, containing data for both TikTok and WeChat users. They claim that they have 2.05 billion records, which is about 790 gigabytes of data containing user data, platform statistics, software code, cookies, authentication tokens, server info, and much more. Experts have confirmed that some of this data is legitimate but they were unable to confirm where the data came from. TikTok and WeChat are owned by completely separate companies, so this also would have had to have been two independent data breaches. It's also very telling that this user, against the West, was banned from the breached cybercrime forum for, quote, not properly investigating the breach, unquote. The admins didn't really elaborate on that, but it does make it sound very likely that the data was not necessarily from TikTok and WeChat. Having said that, if you are a user of either of these platforms, it is probably a good idea to change your passwords and make sure that you have two factor enabled just to be safe. I actually found out that TikTok allows you to use simple login and voice over IP phone numbers, so that's good. I'm sure they're still collecting a ton of other data because it's a phone app and they can do that, but. That's one little win. Of course, you could always just err on the side of caution and delete the apps altogether if you can. So that's the story right now. Be careful, change your passwords, all that fun stuff. And as always, if we hear anything, we'll keep you guys updated. With that, we'll get into our data breaches. A huge Chinese database of faces and vehicle license plates has spilled online. This comes from the tech company Xinai Electronics, contains over 800 million records and is the second largest breach this year. The first largest also came from China a few months ago. They're not doing very well in the security front right now. This was likely exposed inadvertently by human error. The company builds access systems for controlling access for people and vehicles to workplaces, schools, construction sites, and parking garages across China. Its website touts its use of facial recognition for a range of purposes beyond just building access, including personnel management like payroll, monitoring employee attendance and performance, while its cloud-based vehicle license plate recognition system allows drivers to pay for parking in unattended garages that are managed by staff remotely. The database included links to high-resolution photos of faces, including construction workers entering building sites and office visitors checking in and other personal information, such as the person's name, age, and sex, along with resident ID numbers, which are China's answer to national identity cards. The database also had records of vehicle license plates collected by Xenai cameras in parking garages, driveways, and other office entry points. So this was also exposed on an Alibaba hosted server. And again, is this like the new AWS bucket? I don't know, you guys decide. At least one other person accessed it and had left a ransom note, but it's unclear if they actually stole or deleted any data and chain analysis shows that no ransom has been paid yet. Russian streaming platform Start.ru has confirmed a data breach affecting 7.5 million users. This contained email addresses, phone numbers, and usernames. Financial information, bank card data, browsing history, and user passwords have not been impacted because those details are not present in the database. Start has fixed the vulnerability and is recommending changing passwords, but they're not enforcing it. Meanwhile, Nelnet Servicing has had a breach exposing the data of 2.5 million student loan accounts. This comes from the Oklahoma Student Loan Authority and Ed Financial. Nelnet was their tech services provider, so we, Unfortunately, see this quite common where a managed service provider gets hit and that affects all of their clients. This includes full names, physical addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, and social security numbers. The letters notifying users about the data breach clarify that no financial account numbers or any form of payment information were exposed due to this incident. A law firm is investigating further and both companies are offering a whopping two years of credit monitoring via Experian. Around here, we recommend freezing your credit instead of credit monitoring. It's free. It doesn't require you to hand over even more invasive information to these companies. It lasts forever. So yeah, freeze your credit if you haven't. Moving over to India, Akasa Air has exposed sensitive records of thousands of customers. This is a new airline service that launched in early August and exposed details because of a quote, technical glitch affecting login and sign up. And they give more details in the article, but basically it involved the HTTP requests that were disclosing data when you did packet sniffing. This affected over 34,000 customers and included full names, genders, email addresses, and phone numbers. It has since been fixed, but only after TechCrunch got involved. They originally ignored the researcher who tried to report it, so they take your privacy and security very seriously. The IRS also has exposed confidential taxpayer data. This affected about 120,000 individuals, apparently leaked from the Form 99T which has to do with retirement accounts and certain types of income that's earned within those accounts. Very specific stuff, but I mean, tax law, that's how it is. The data exposed included names, contact information, and financial information limited to the income on that form. It didn't include social security number, full income information, or quote, other data that could affect a taxpayer's credit, unquote. So this is another case of human error. They recently made this form available for electronic filing if I understood the article correctly and just didn't set it up right and the information was publicly visible. They have since fixed this. 200,000 North Face accounts hacked in credential stuffing attack. So for those who don't know, a credential stuffing attack is when the threat actors use email addresses, usernames, passwords, things like that. And basically just kind of try them all to see what works on various websites and they were successful on 200,000 North Face accounts. Thanks to that, they were able to access full names, purchase history, billing addresses, shipping address, phone number, account creation date, gender, and rewards records. This is the second incident like this with North Face. The first one happened in November of 2020, and this is why they say you should not reuse passwords. Don't reuse passwords. Don't reuse usernames. Those people will probably be exposed to like some phishing attempts and stuff like that. Samsung says that customer data was stolen in a July data breach. This includes name, contact and demographic information, date of birth and product registration information, which I think also includes like device ID and stuff like that. As always, they are quick to say social security number and credit card numbers were not impacted. It's unclear exactly how many users were affected. They declined to state that. Now, this is kind of a big story that's still unfolding. Vice Society has claimed the Los Angeles Unified School District ransomware attack and the theft of 500 gigs of data. So over the Labor Day weekend, the Los Angeles Unified School District was hit with ransomware. That's pretty much all they've said. They haven't publicly said who it was. They haven't confirmed if any data was stolen or anything like that. Well, there's a ransomware group called vice society who has claimed credit they claim they are behind it and they say they have stolen 500 gigs of data but they haven't provided any proof of this yet so they might just be full of smoke on that. They might be telling a half-truth. Maybe they are behind it, but they didn't steal anything. We don't know. It was likely them because the same weekend that this happened, the FBI kind of sent out a, a general alert to everybody, warning them that Vice Society has stepped up their attacks on educational institutions. LAUSD is having students and staff reset their passwords in response. And again, they have not confirmed or denied if any data was stolen. So again, that that's kind of a big story. It's still unfolding. And if we hear any more, we'll keep you guys updated. And on the topic of updates, our last data breach, Okta one-time MFA passcodes exposed in Twilio cyber attack. The Twilio hack is just the gift that keeps on giving, man. You just We keep having more stories out of that. Attackers were able to intercept SMS-2FA codes for Okta, the identity management service. Quoting the article here, this kind of lends credence to Henry's idea that this is uh, this was a very targeted attack. It says, the threat actors searched for the 38 Okta-related phone numbers using Twilio's administrative portals which showed the most recent 50 messages delivered through Octus Twilio account. They went out specifically searching for people. And this is just a reminder of why we don't like SMS two-factor. If you have no other option, pretty sure Henry would agree with me on this, maybe not. If you have no other option, I think it's better than nothing. But if you have any better options, TOTP, hardware token, even email, because your email is ideally should be locked behind two-factor as well. Just, yeah, SMS is just so horribly vulnerable to so many different kinds of attacks like this. So we do recommend two factor, but we recommend using something better than SMS. Okay, that'll take us into the companies. And we're gonna start off with a pretty big story. The headline says surveillance firms leak docs show the purchase of an $8 million iOS RCE zero day exploit. RCE means a uh, remote code execution. So this comes from Intelexa, which is another sur- Israeli surveillance company, kind of like the NSO. And lest you think they're just coming out of Israel, we're gonna talk about that a little bit later, so hold on to that. Quoting the article, the leaked documentation demonstrates that the company offers services for remote data extraction from Android and iOS devices. The offer includes remote one-click browser-based exploits that allow threat actors to compromise both Android and iOS mobile devices. Threat actors could use these exploits by tricking targets and clicking on a link. The exploits should work against Android 12 update and iOS 15.4.1. This information is important because Apple released 15.4.1 March, which means that the offer is recent. At this time, it is not possible to determine if the vulnerabilities in the offered exploits have been addressed by Apple. In other words, number one, this is a one-click exploit. It's not quite as bad as Pegasus where it just installs itself without you doing anything. You do have to be tricked into clicking the link. They say browser-based, so I'm not sure if this is one of those, like restarting your phone will get rid of it. I apologize for not making a note of that. If anybody knows more, feel free to let us know in the comments. And finally, like they said, Apple might have addressed this. We don't know for sure, it is very recent and yeah, this uh, particular exploit cost $8 million. So taxpayer money well-spent, man. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. As with every other story, if we learn anything more about this, we'll definitely keep you guys updated. With that, we'll move on to Google, who has launched an open-source bug bounty program aimed at clamping down on supply chain attacks. This program will pay researchers who find security flaws in Google's open-source software or also in the dependencies. They'll pay anywhere from $101 to $31,337, which is weirdly specific numbers for information about bugs in projects like Angular, Golang, and Fuchsia, or for vulnerabilities in the third-party dependencies that are included in these projects code bases. Now, just to clarify, they're only paying out if it's a dependency they use. So, um, they had an example in the article, but basically if you find a third-party library and, uh, You find a vulnerability, but it's not one that's incorporated into Google. They're not going to pay you for that. But if you find anything in any of their programs, they'll pay you. And of course, it depends on the severity and things like that. But yeah, good on them for trying to, um, I know they're doing it for selfish reasons because they're trying to secure their own product, but still it's one of those things that I think helps everybody. So good on them for that. Speaking of giving positive credit to where it is due, Apple backports a fix for an actively exploited iOS zero-day to older iPhones. Apple has released a new security update to backport patches released earlier this month to older iPhones and iPads addressing a remotely execute exploitable WebKit zero-day that allows attackers to execute arbitrary code on unpatched devices. This zero-day vulnerability is the same one Apple patched for macOS Monterey and iPhone or iPad devices on August 17th and for Safari on August 18th. So basically, Apple's uh, one of their most recent updates They've decided that it's so serious, they've actually pushed updates back to older devices that are no longer supported, which I think is really cool. Believe it or not, not every Apple user is the kind of person who's like, oh, I gotta, you know, the iPhone 13.1 was just announced. Let me throw out my iPhone 13 and go buy the new one. Not all of them are like that. It is really cool that they acknowledge that, hey, this is serious enough. We're gonna go ahead and push this update to older devices. So good on you, Apple. Trust me, we still have plenty of complaints with them, but. Again, giving credit where credit's due. And speaking of Apple, just a real quick one, iOS 16 will be available on September 12th. So if you're like me and you are very impatiently awaiting lockdown mode and you're like, bro, come on. Well, by the time you're watching this, most of you, it will be available. So, yeah, um, that should be the day after this comes out. It also looks like they are uh, changing their, their device support, older devices will no longer be supported. This update will only apply to the iPhone 8 and later and the second gen or later SEs. Let's talk about Facebook. We have good news. The Facebook button is disappearing from websites as consumers demand better privacy. So this includes sites like Dell, Best Buy, Ford, Pottery Barn, Nike, Patagonia, Match, and Twitch. Dell's uh, chief information officer said in an interview that this was in response to a declining use of the button probably due to privacy and security concerns, not to sound like too politically leaning, but this is kind of the the free market at work. You know, when people talk about like voting with your dollar or like making a, a, a statement through your actions, this is what we're talking about. You know, enough people are saying, I don't want to use this login with Facebook button, whether that's, you know, for privacy reasons or whether that's whatever reason, whatever the reasons are, people are saying they aren't using it. And companies are saying, well, it's not worth our time to incorporate this button and bother with it cuz nobody's using it so they're all getting away with it which is great because if you don't know those buttons actually contain tracking pixels that help Facebook track you around the web they're not just login buttons they're not just there for fun that's why browsers like brave let you block them and i think ublock origin also has a filter for that so This is really cool. Websites are removing them because people aren't using them, which in my opinion shows that Facebook is becoming less popular, which I'm totally okay with, but it also just means general better privacy for everyone all around because that's one less way that Facebook can track you across the web. There's other ways, there's other websites, but it's it's a start, so I think that's really cool. Now on to a less cool story. Intel has created an AI that detects student emotions. They're calling it class and the software quote runs on top of zoom. So I'm assuming it can only be used in online schooling that uses zoom and Intel claims that it can detect if students are bored, confused, or distracted by assessing facial expressions and interactions with the educational content. So needless to say, we are not fans of this. We're more so sharing this because we just. We do news, we're trying to keep you guys updated on developing stories and things that are out there, and this is a new thing. I guess it's not really surprising considering a lot of the stories we've covered in the past, but just trying to let you guys know this thing is out there, beware of it if you're a parent, definitely beware of it if you're currently in school, find out if your school is using it and try to fight back if you can. Telegram is asking German users when to share information with law enforcement. So this is a hacker news post that comes from a Telegram user in Germany who uh, translated and shared this. They said it was posted. I think it was posted in like Telegram's official German channel or something like that. Telegram is apparently asking users basically what they should do going forward. So there's three options. Currently, the current privacy policy says Telegram will share IP addresses and phone numbers of terror suspects based on court decisions. The other two options that they are tossing around and they want votes on are Option two, on request by German police authorities, Telegram may disclose IP addresses and phone numbers of suspects of serious crimes, even if it is not supported by a court decision. And option three, under no circumstances may Telegram share user information, including IP addresses and phone numbers of terror suspects, unquote. This is kind of a red flag, but if you're a German Telegram user, you should definitely go find the channel where this was shared and cast your vote. I would recommend you switch to an encrypted messenger that doesn't have any data to hand over in the first place. Our next story comes from AdGuard where it says, AdGuard publishes the world's first ad blocker built on Manifest V3. So for those who are not caught up with this story, basically for a long time, Chrome has been promising that they're gonna roll out this new, um, I don't know what you would call it, backend called Manifest version three. Currently they're running version two. And I think this is part of the whole like privacy sandbox thing that Chrome has been promising. Chrome is arguing this will offer better privacy for users. The problem is it will also break a lot of ad blockers. And a lot of the time that's been sensationalized as people saying like, oh, ad blocking is not gonna work in Chrome. This article shows that's not entirely true. It will work, but there are a lot of limitations and AdGuard goes through a lot of them in this article. This got a little bit technical. I didn't quite understand all of it, but if I understood it correctly, the main limitation seems to revolve around rule limits. Chrome is only allowing in manifest version three. They're only allowing a certain number of rules across all plugins. So for the record, if you're one of those people who goes crazy with redundancy and you've got like privacy badger and ad block and Ublock block like privacy possum, first of all, we don't recommend that for fingerprinting reasons, but now you're actually going to get diminishing returns because every plugin you add is more rules. And once it hits a certain number of rules, it's going to stop adding more rules. So this is not cool on Chrome's end, but AdGuard has found a way to work around it and they claim they were first to the table. So if you're interested in the finer details of how all that stuff works, be sure to go ahead and check that out. There are some other limitations. Like I said, that means seems to be this, the main one from what I can tell. There's also, um, this is more FOSS news kind of, but uBlock Origin has also released an experimental Manifest V3 extension. This is official. It comes from Raymond Hill, who is the creator, and he's calling this uBlock Origin Minus. Quoting the article, the minus indicates that it is not as powerful as uBlock Origin. Hill revealed that UBO Minus uses the declar- declarative, declarative net request API exclusively, which Google introduced in Manifest V3 to replace the more powerful APIs of Manifest V3. The extension does not require any extra permissions, including the read and change all of your data on all websites permission. The consequence of this is that certain features are not supported. He'll list cosmetic filtering, scriptlet injection, CSP, redirect, and remove param for filters specifically. UBO Minus uses the same default filter set as Ublock Origin, but in an optimized form to take into account the limitations of Manifest V3. Chrome users who want to give it a try can download and install it from the Chrome web store. New versions will be released alongside the regular extensions for Chromium-based browsers in Firefox. The extension has a simple interface which highlights the number of blocked items only. On that note, the article mentions that version two plugins will stop working around June 2023, so we're a little bit under a year away. But just be aware that's a thing that's coming. Uh, fortunately, it looks like some people are already trying to adjust. I'm sure Brave will not be far behind. And yeah, we'll just keep you guys updated. That is a big thing coming up on the horizon, and we'll let you learn. We'll let you know more as we learn more. Our final company story comes from Kagi, who has passed an independent security audit. Kagi, for those who don't know, is an up-and-coming aspiring search engine, as well as a web browser for Mac and iOS that claims not to track you. Personally, I've tried the search engine. As a search engine, it's fine. I don't have any issues with it. I have not tried the web browser. I think it's called Orion or something like that. Anyways, this applies to the search engine. They have passed a security audit from Illumint that gave them a, quote, highly secure rating with no findings of material significance, unquote. So for the record, that's just their security. They have not been audited for any of their other practices that I'm aware of. And I, again, I don't think this applied to the web browser, but it's it's a plus. They've got good security and good for them. And for those who are curious, I think Kagi uses their own index. I don't think they're like a meta search engine, like DuckDuckGo is just a proxy for Bing and Start Page is just a proxy for Google and stuff like that. I think they have their own actual index. So if you're still on the market for a good search engine, that could be one worth looking into. I've heard good things about it from people I trust. With that, we'll move into research. We're gonna start off with an eight-year study that found 24,931 WordPress sites using malicious plugins. Since 2012, researchers in the Georgia Tech Cyber Forensics Innovation Laboratory have uncovered 47,337 malicious plugins across 24,931 unique WordPress websites. The findings also indicated that 94% of the plugins are still actively infected. The lead researcher noted that attackers do not try very hard to hide their tracks and often rightly assume that the website owners will not find them. Website owners can purge malicious plugins entirely from their websites and reinstall a malware-free version that has been scanned for vulnerabilities. So remember to be cautious, use as much defense as you are able to put up with in terms of like, like if you can block JavaScript, feel free. Um, I know that's not feasible for everyone, but yeah, the web is a dangerous place. A lot of it seems to come from WordPress. We cover a lot of WordPress vulnerabilities around here. Just... Be on your guard, guys. On that note, Google Chrome had a bug that let sites write to the clipboard without asking. So this showed up in version 104. The article points out, for those of you who are like, who cares if it writes to my clipboard? This could be used, for example, to overwrite a crypto address. And if you're trying to send somebody cryptocurrency, you might accidentally send it to a cyber criminal. So there are malicious uses of this. Developer Jeff Johnson confirmed that many browsers are actually capable of doing this, which is really scary thankfully none of them can read your clipboard that is a functionality that web developers seem to have taken into account but not the other way around it's also worth noting that not all browsers were affected so sometimes when there's a chrome bug at least for me it's a little unclear if it only affects chrome or if it affects all chromium based browsers but for example brave is one of the browsers that they listed as not affected by this i'm not sure if the bug has been patched at this time i haven't heard any updates on that. Just one more reason not to use Chrome. Our next story, over a thousand iOS apps found exposed hard-coded AWS credentials. So this comes from researchers at Symantec, Symantec, who also found 37 Android apps doing this. So iOS is not the only one, but they certainly seem to be the worst offender. 77% of the credentials they found were still valid and could be abused to access live servers with data in them. Not just production servers or test servers, like in-use live servers. In three specific cases, the researchers called the potential consequences, quote, catastrophic. Yeah, not good. Again, be careful what apps you download. Don't download them unless you actually need them because you're giving them a lot of permissions and you're trusting them to secure their data, which sometimes they don't do. On that note, our next research article, I'm sorry, it's all like depressing research today. Our next article says over 80% of the top websites leak user searches to advertisers. So this affects websites that have embedded search bars on the site. I'm guessing like the kind where you can type in a search for other content on the website. The search terms are most often leaked via a referrer header, URL, or payload, but there are other methods that they can be leaked. The defense here is to use an actual search engine. If you're trying to search the site, it might be better to actually go to like Brave or or your search engine of choice and search for like that site article. I know Google, I think most other search engines have adopted this. Google has an option where you can type like site colon the site name and then like keywords. So you could go to like, if you're looking for a news article, you could go like site Reuters.com. I don't know, California privacy law or something. So that's one possible solution to get around this to help prevent leaking some of that stuff. Okay, and our last research story is some good news. Researchers have published post-quantum upgrade to Signal protocol. So this comes from a company called PQ Shield, and they have created a proof of concept of how Signal can add post-quantum cryptography to their protocol to improve it and help protect it from quantum attacks as we move forward. They have offered to, quote, license this to Signal for free, The article didn't really go into depth on what that means. Like, would this be free in perpetuity? Would this be like a one-time, we're giving it to you for free? Would there be terms with this licensing? I don't know, that's kind of a weird choice of words. My takeaway here is that people are looking at ways to improve signal, moving into the future and make it resistant to quantum attacks, quantum computing, which is awesome because I know we've mentioned in the past, that's a real big concern for a lot of people as we move into the future. And it's really good to see companies starting to take this seriously and, try to be proactive about it. But for now, it's time for politics, and we're gonna start off with a sweeping children's online safety bill that was passed in California. The California bill would require online services for general audiences to proactively design their products and features to protect child users. In practice, that means apps and sites must analyze and mitigate the risks that services may pose to minors, like exposing them to explicit content or manipulative techniques to prod them to spend hours on end online. The legislation also requires online services to turn on the highest privacy settings by default for minors, and it prohibits online platforms from collecting children's precise location without providing an obvious sign to the child while their whereabouts are being tracked. And this takes effect in 2024. Civil liberties experts raise concerns about consumer privacy. In particular, they warn that the requirement for general audience sites to provide greater protections for children would lead to unintended consequences for adults. Such a system would likely lead platforms to set up elaborate age verification systems for everyone, meaning that all users would have to submit personal data and submit to more corporate surveillance. And this comes from the Electronic Frontier Foundation back in April. Our next story was kind of a big one. It says the U.S. government is suing Kochava for selling sensitive geolocation data. The FTC announced that it has filed a lawsuit against Idaho-based data broker, Kochava, for selling sensitive and precise geolocation data within meters collected from hundreds of millions of mobile devices. Kochava is one of those companies that collects location data and sells it to pretty much anyone who's willing to pay the subscription fee. Clients could use this data to identify and keep track of mobile users' movements to and from various locations, such as reproductive health, mental care, and addiction recovery facilities, or shelters for domestic violence survivors, or homeless shelters. The data broker also claimed that the location data feed delivers raw, latitude and longitudinal data with volumes around 94 billion plus transactions per month, 125 million monthly active users and 35 million daily active users, on average observing more than 90 daily transactions per device. So in other words, they're collecting a crap ton of data points. The FTC alleges that by selling data tracking people, Cochava is enabling others to identify individuals and exposing them to threats of stigma, stalking, discrimination, job loss, and even physical violence. In fact, the data broker has touted identifying households as one of the possible uses of its data in some marketing materials. We'll see what comes out of it. They are, of course, fighting this. Kochava is. We'll let you know if we hear anything. Keep in mind, these lawsuits often take years to resolve, so we may not hear anything for a while. But as Henry would say, stay subscribed and we'll let you know as soon as we hear something. This one comes from the EFF. It says, Inside Fog Data Science, the secret of companies selling mass surveillance to local police. So this article is part of an entire series that we totally recommend reading because there's a lot going on here. Fog Data Science collects, quote, near real-time location data from apps on both Android and iOS, claiming it has, quote, billions of data points on more than 250 million devices and can learn where subjects work, live, and, quote again, associate, whatever that means. Their web platform allows customers to access detailed histories at least as far back as June 2017. EFF has found that Fog Data Science has had past or current contracts with at least 18 local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies, and several other agencies have taken advantage of their free trials. The article goes on to describe what we know. Like, for example, they can do area searches where the police can just draw a shape on the map and pick their time range and say, show me all the devices. Or they can do device searches, which is, you know, where they pick a device and say, show me the location history. EFF believes that Fog has exaggerated some of their capabilities, but notes that the broad strokes are probably true. Maybe they don't have quite billions of data points, but they probably have a crap ton that for all intents and purposes is the same thing. In particular, EFF is concerned by what they call pattern of life analysis, which is where they determine things like, you know, your work, your home and other notable locations by tracking that long-term location data. EFF also believes that they are acquiring this data by buying it from other location collecting SDKs like the ones we've covered on this show before. There's all kinds of concerns there. Again, it's a whole series of articles. It's a long read, but it's very much worth it and we recommend it. Our next story, I'm going to keep this real quick. It's also from EFF. It says the Secure Notarization Act will create a race to the bottom for privacy. So this is one of those things we just want to put on your radar because it is currently in Congress. H.R. 3962, the Securing and Enabling Commerce Using Remote and Electronic Notarization Act of 2021 or Secure Notarization Act. This bill would require states to recognize remote online notarizations to meet a weak minimum federal standard regardless of whether those notarizations potentially meet stronger pre-existing state standards. Quoting the article real quick, this bill fails to require strong minimum privacy standards while simultaneously requiring the collection and retention of personally identifying and necessarily sensitive information that notaries normally wouldn't collect in the first place. Crucially, the bill does not prohibit the sale or disclosure of data collected during an online notarization. If passed is written, the Secure Notarization Act would require states to recognize out-of-state notarizations that do not comply with potentially stronger state standards. This encourages a race to the bottom. States will have a clear incentive to establish the weakest possible standards in a bid to attract notary businesses to their state. So yeah, again, that's just a signal boost letting you guys know that's out there. We do have a brief spot of good news. Internet service providers have dropped a challenge of a privacy law. In 2020, Maine created quote, one of the toughest privacy laws in the US by requiring opt-in standards for ISPs to collect and sell user data, which I just have to be sarcastic and cynical for a minute. Wow, so tough, very wow, much privacy. That's amazing that like get consent is tough, whatever. Back on topic. ISPs push back saying this violated their First Amendment rights somehow. A judge said, no, it doesn't, but they continued to push. And it seems that they have finally given in and thrown in the towel and accepted the law, which on the one hand is a little worrying. Maybe they found a way around it or something like that. On the other hand, maybe they just gave up and said, we've got better things to worry about. So... Either way, the law stands, and they've thrown it in the towel, and I I think that's good news. The next article, we're moving to Europe, and this one's a little bit lengthy. It says, Revealing Europe's NSO. I'm going to quote the article here. An Italian surveillance company is tracking people all over the world on a grand scale on behalf of its clients, including in countries with a recent history of corruption and human rights abuses. Its powerful spyware was recently found in Kazakhstan and Romania. Side note, this is actually the hermit spyware that we briefly talked about a couple months ago. Europe's parliamentarians voice growing concern about an out-of-control surveillance industry and call for it to be regulated. Confidential data seen by Lighthouse Reports, who posted this article, shows that a little-known company based in Rome called TykeLab, or Teichlab, Teichlab, I don't know, has been using dozens of phone networks, often on remote Pacific islands, to send tens of thousands of secret tracking packets around the world, targeting people in countries including Libya, Nicaragua, Malaysia, Costa Rica, Iraq, Mali, Greece, and Portugal, as well as in Italy itself. We'll talk about Greece in a minute. It's doing this by exploiting longstanding but frequently unfixed vulnerabilities in global phone networks, which make it possible for third parties to see phone users' locations and potentially intercept their calls without any recording of compromise being left on their devices. Big yikes. I I don't really have anything else to say to that. Big yikes. Again, if you want to learn more, there's more in the article there. This is just a reminder, you know, we talked about in Alexa... Intellixa, whatever, earlier. Now we're talking about TychLab. NSO is not the only one, guys. They're the most prominent, but they are far from the only one, and it's really concerning. Quick piece of good news. Instagram has been fined 405 million euros in the EU over children's privacy. The complaint focused on the platform's processing of children's data for business accounts and on a user registration system it operated, which the Data Protection Committee, I think, Uh, DPC, found could lead to the accounts of child users being set to public by default unless the user changed the account settings to private, unquote. So basically, in the EU, for those of us who don't know, GDPR requires that all children's accounts, all minors, be set to private by default. And they are alleging that Instagram did not do their due diligence to ensure that that was happening. I know I've said this before, so I've heard it from an expert that these fines do actually hurt these companies, that we we tend to look at them and go, you know, $400 million, whatever, that's nothing. But apparently they do sit up and say, well, you know, we'd rather have that $400 million in our pockets. Even if I'm wrong or even if that person was wrong and that's not true, you kind of got to wonder how much this is starting to add up. This is Instagram's like, what, fifth fine this year alone? Something like that? I'd assume that after a while it just kind of starts to add up and it does actually put a dent in their pockets so i'm all in favor of this bring on more of them i think this is great okay let's move to greece like i promised uh thank you to the reader who alerted me to this story because i have not seen this in any of my news feeds greece wiretap and spyware claims circle around pm Mitsotakis. so this seems like it's a, a pretty big story in greece This is a story that has been going on for months. This article is kind of a TLDR, so I might be missing some things. But from what I can gather, this is a a full-blown scandal. Uh, The article, I think they says they're calling it like the Greek Watergate or something like that. It started with a single journalist who suspected that he had been hacked. He noticed his devices were acting kind of strange. So he reported it and investigated it, like reported it to the proper authorities and did his own investigation. And from there, it is just kind of snowballed into uh, exposing that Greece has been engaged in mass surveillance using spyware, like they cite Predator, which is very similar to Pegasus. It's just a different product. So they're using these these spyware tools to spy on journalists and political opponents all the way up to like the national level. Again, this is like just the TLDR. This story has been unfolding for months. The article provides a more detailed breakdown of the timeline and how it all unfolded. Very much worth a full read and a very interesting story that I'm gonna try my best to keep an eye on. For some reason, a lot of news from Greece just does not come across my RSS feed. But again, thank you to the person who alerted me to this, and I will try to keep an eye on this in the future and update you guys if we hear anything more, because, yeah, it sounds like their prime minister is facing a scandal about being very liberal with his use of spyware technology. Okay, and our last political story comes out of Delhi, India, where the court has ordered Telegram to disclose personal details of pirating users. So far, Telegram has resisted, and really, that's kind of it. Uh, According to the article, Telegram does actually have a history of cracking down on piracy when they're made aware of it. So if you tell Telegram like, hey, this person's violating copyright and they're pirating material and they're spreading it through your platform, they'll go ahead and shut down the channel. They might even like kick the user, but Delhi wants to go further and they're like, no, we want you to turn over names so that we can actually prosecute this individual. Anyways, that's happening. So yeah. Okay. With that, we'll move into free and open source news. And we're going to start off talking about Debian. Debian has begun a general resolution to decide what to do with non-free firmware. So currently by default, Debian does not load non-free firmware on their systems even when it means that no working hardware support will exist without those elements. Not loading the non-free firmware can also mean missing out on security updates or addressing usability issues. Earlier this year, there was a discussion about Debian changing its closed source stance and now it is moving forward into the general resolution process. My personal opinion, I really admire that Debian tried to be totally free and I'm really sad that the FOSS world cannot keep up and they're being forced to consider this route. On that note, Debian is replacing Google with DuckDuckGo as the default search engine for Chromium. While Firefox is still the default web browser in Debian, you can find the Chromium browser in the repositories. Earlier, Chromium used Google as the default engine. However, Debian is now going to switch to DuckDuckGo. This is the result of a bug report, quote unquote bug. It was really just a suggestion that was submitted two years ago. So that took quite a while and it will roll out in version 104. So that, well, by the time this is coming out, maybe that's already out to the stable channels, but if not, it should be coming soon, might take a while. Notes Nook is going open source. Now I'm going to be honest, I've never heard of this app before, but when this news came out, I saw an explosion of people talking about it like, oh my God, I love this program. I'm so happy. It's so good, blah, blah, blah. So if you are in the market for a good note taking app and you're also preferring something that's open source, this is now one to consider. This is also a good time to remind everyone that open source does not automatically mean secure or private. However, the developer seems to have a lot of respect for open source and the trust that it instills. So in this particular case, I think this is only gonna be good. And especially since they already seem to have such a big fan base, I think they're gonna see a lot of um, improvements as people look at the code and suggest improvements. Hopefully they'll take those to heart and implement them. Okay, with that, let's jump into another big story this week. Signal has announced a new president. Uh, Moxie Marlinspike stepped down what, earlier this year, I think. Maybe it was late last year. The new president is Meredith Whitaker, who I will be honest, I've never heard of before. But when I heard about this, I went and looked her up. And personal opinion, I think she's kind of a badass. So she was formerly the Mindaroo Research Professor. I'm not sure what that is, but that was at New York University and the faculty director at NYU's AI Now Institute. In 2006, she joined Google, where she helped found the Open Research Initiative, which, according to Wikipedia, collaborated with the open source and academic communities on issues related to net neutrality measurement, privacy, and security, and the social consequences of artificial intelligence. She organized the walkout in 2018 over sexism at Google and their surveillance practices. She's written for the ACLU. She spoke at the 2018 World Summit on AI and co-founded MLab, which is, quote, the world's largest source of open data on internet performance. She has advised the White House, the FCC, the FTC, the City of New York, the European Parliament, and many other government and civil organizations on artificial intelligence, internet policy, measurement, privacy, and security. In 2021, she joined the FTC as a senior advisor on AI to the chair, but after she uh, joined Signal, she announced that she is going to be leaving the FTC to focus on Signal. One of her first acts this week was to say that they hope to have usernames rolled out by early 2023. That's a big promise. I know that's something everyone's been screaming for for years, us at Surveillance Report included. So if she actually delivers on that, that'll be a huge point in her favor. I'm very hopeful and we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll eat those words. I'll admit that. Time will tell. But so far, this seems really promising. Okay, and then just a couple of quick stories to round out Foss. Number one, Wine 7.16 has arrived two days late but brought game enhancements. There's a lot of technical fixes, but there's also fixes for the game Saints Row, Metal Gear Solid 5, Ragnarok Online, and Star Citizen. Finally, Matrix has released some security updates that apply to certain clients. So just basically your reminder, keep things updated. If you use Matrix, check for updates on your client. Don't get caught by those. As Kerry Parker would say, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. That'll take us into Misfits. Lessons learned from a stolen laptop. So this came from Reddit. OP had their laptop stolen by a coworker that they trusted. And they talk about, you know, how they got into that situation, how they found out about it, the steps they took, and additional compromises. So this is one of those articles. I'm going to let you guys read it, but it's one of those things that we're sharing because in, in my opinion, there were no super huge red flags where you just read it and you're just like, oh my god, this idiot, why would you do that? It's one of those things that I think most of us could easily find ourselves in that situation. So I think it's a good idea to read this story and think about it for yourself and like what would I do, how would I defend, plan against it, that kind of thing. All right. Our next story is an update. The headline says ransomware gang accessed water suppliers control system. We covered this story a few weeks ago. We talked about how the CLOP ransomware gang stole data from the South Staffordshire Waterworks Company in England. Well, it turns out they also had access to their industrial control systems, meaning that they could have impacted water treatment or flow and potentially impacted a lot of people. This is your reminder that everything is digital nowadays. We're talking about affecting water for entire cities and countries and I mean I'm sure we don't have to drill the point home to you guys but yeah like this stuff is getting really heavily intertwined and cybersecurity is it's not like just a personal nerd thing anymore it's like a national security thing that we all have to push for good standards from our leaders so our next story so this is a, a newish article but I have a feeling it might get a lot of attention This says, with Co, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, Coe Recast, you can change your voice as easily as your clothing. So this is a new AI tool that can alter up to 20 seconds of your voice into different styles. Right now, they offer fun things like anime characters, deep male narrators, ASMR whispers, but it could, uh, translation, will, be abused in the future. And that's something the article points out, something we need to be concerned about. I saw Henry's tweet when he saw this. He's like, this is great for podcasters who want to stay anonymous and like not give up personal information. And he's he's right. And you know, I've said this before. Technology, in my opinion, is a, a double-edged sword. It has positive good uses and it also has really bad ones. So this does have really good uses, but also the potential for abuses there. Okay, then we got two more stories and they're going to be fun ones to end on. So the first one, someone hacked the largest taxi service in Russia and ordered all available taxis to the same location. According to Twitter, user at... RU News: someone hacked the largest taxi service in Russia, Yandex Taxi, which for the record, I didn't know Yandex had taxis, that's wild, and ordered all available taxis to an address on, I'm not even gonna try that. The tweet included a video showing the traffic jam that this caused in the middle of Moscow. It is not known who was behind the attack. Probably not good for people who legitimately needed a taxi, but pretty funny. And the last one says, Walmart lists a 30 terabyte portable solid state drive for $39. It is naturally a scam i've never heard of this apparently some people have heard of this kind of thing happening but uh, quoting the article on the inside this solid state drive looks like two small capacity micro sd cards hot glued to a usb 2.0 capable board this board's firmware has been modified so that each of these cards reports its capacity as 15 terabytes to the os for a total of 30 terabytes even though the actual capacity of the cards is much lower it preserves the directory structure of whatever you're copying but when it's copying your data it just keeps writing and rewriting over the tiny micro sd cards everything will look fine until you go to access a file only to find that the data isn't there so this is your reminder, if something sounds too good to be true, it usually is. With that, we will move into our Q&A section, and we only had one question this week. This came from Grogech, again, Grogech, who says, do you have any suggestions for photo management applications, thinking primarily of software to computer like Linux, Windows, Mac OS, and not for smartphones? Unfortunately, I don't. I, I was able to get a hold of Henry before I started recording, he doesn't either. So what I'm gonna say is, If any of you guys out there have any suggestions, go ahead and leave them in the comments. Grogich, just go ahead and check the comments. Maybe give it a couple days for the comments to filter in, but go ahead and check the comments and see what people suggest. And hopefully you'll get some good suggestions out of that. And that was it for this week. I know that was a lot. Thank you guys for hanging in there. We had the alleged TikTok data breach which if we hear any more about that, we'll keep you updated. A ton of spyware news, not just the, the $8 million iOS one, but also we got Greece and, and um, what is it, TicLab in India, Google Chrome bugs that hopefully have been fixed. US government suing a location data broker, which is amazing. Lots of open source news, just lots of news all around this week. And hopefully it's been helpful to you guys and kept you a little bit more up to date on what's going on out there. As always, if we hear anything on any of these stories, we will try to keep you guys updated. Want to remind you guys that the best ways to support us are Patreon and Monero. Patreon is if you want to get a little something in return. Again, you can ask a Q&A question. We don't guarantee that we're going to answer all of them. We try to pick the ones that we think listeners will get the most out of, but you're welcome to ask anyways and shoot your shot. You also get ad-free segments. You get show notes, things like that. And then if you don't care about any of the perks and you just want to help us keep going, there is Monero and we see all those donations. Monero is a privacy coin, so we don't know anything about any of you guys, but we see the donations and they help a lot. Thank you guys so much. Thank you all for listening to Surveillance Report. As always, the final thing we want to ask for you is to share the podcast around. Make sure that you're subscribed. Give us a rating if you're listening on a platform where that's an option. We are trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy and every little bit that you guys do helps. So thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next week.